people are quick to always want another law. I mean, this kid broke law after law after law before he even got to the school to shoot people. We obviously are prosecuting the shooter, and I made a promise to those parents, and, and we will do that and bring justice for their children. But there are other individuals that are should be held accountable. The antibodies that you make from the, the vaccine now will protect you against Delta. Um, and they may protect you against Omicron. We don't know. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The unthinkable happened Tuesday afternoon when a 15-year-old gunman allegedly entered Oxford High School and opened fire, killing four people, all students, and injuring another six and one teacher. Oakland County Prosecutor Karen McDonald is charging the assailant on 24 counts, including murder, terrorism, assault with intent to murder, and illegal possession of a firearm. Here she is with Paul W. Smith the morning after announcing the charges. We've got school districts and schools all across Metro Detroit closed today because of social media threats. We've already had Sheriff uh, Michael Bouchard already say that he will go after those people, whether they're thought to be a, a legitimate threat or just people doing it as a sick, sick joke. I presume you're taking the same stand that when these people are brought before you, you will press charges? Yes, we routinely uh, are presented with false threats of terrorism um, and have and, and prosecute those cases. Um, so, so sometimes it's difficult to obtain where it came from or if it was serious. Uh, and the, actually, the real difficulty is when you're dealing with an adolescent um, and determining whether or not those are serious or not. Um, but in light of what's recently happened, I think uh, each of us are going to look at it in the light most um most dangerous and take those things very seriously. And it's it's up to it's the parents uh, listening here, because the kids aren't, uh, that should, even though they think it could never happen, they should go out of their way to have a conversation with their kids to explain just how serious this is, how dangerous it is. Now, a lot of times we're going to be spending time uh, telling our kids they're going to be okay, but we also need to let them know that it isn't okay to participate in any kind of prank or threat, or anything else regarding this. Everyone's taking it seriously. No one's going to be laughing, and there'll be big trouble. You had enough information on hand to charge him with uh, several counts, many counts, and uh, I don't see how, especially with video proof and everything else, I, I would hate to see this even go to trial and put people through the trauma. You did say something uh, you let us know that this suspect uh, actually detailed their chilling plans in video and in a journal, uh, therefore premeditated, obviously easy proof for first-degree uh, murder. Um, what we also have learned is that the school did have trouble with this kid and that the parents were contacted twice, including coming into the school the morning of the shooting. Do you know anything at all about what trouble the kid was in or what precipitated the school to call the parents and ask them to come in? I do. Uh, we're still, the, the investigation with regard to the potential charges against mom and dad is still ongoing. And I don't, I don't want to jeopardize that. Um, but I think that information will most likely come to light soon. Um, but the... The, the parents were 
the only individuals in the position to know the access to weapon um, that seems to have been just freely available uh, to that individual, which, and, and all I can say at this point is those actions uh, on mom and dad's behalf go far beyond negligence. And, you know, we're, we obviously are prosecuting the shooter um, to the fullest extent. And I made a promise to those parents and, and we will do that and bring justice for their children. But he, there's, there's, there are other individuals that are should be held accountable. And Prosecutor McDonald did charge both the alleged gunman's parents with four counts each of involuntary manslaughter and was able to reveal some of the information she mentioned to Paul during a press conference Friday afternoon. The investigation into the school shooting incident at Oxford High School, which occurred on November 30th, 2021, has revealed that James Crumbly purchased a Sig Sauer 9mm model SP 2022 from Acme Shooting Goods in Oxford, Michigan on November 26, 2021. A store employee confirms that Ethan Crumbly was present with James at the time of the purchase. Per statute, James Crumbly completed ATF Form 309A, 5309A. On or about November 26, 21, Ethan Crumbly's social media posts reveal photos of the semi-automatic handgun, along with the caption, just got my new beauty today, including an emoji with hearts, Sig Sauer 9mm, any questions I will answer, end quote. Subsequent to the purchase of that weapon, one of Jennifer Crumbly's social media posts on about 11-27-21 read, quote, mom and Sunday testing out his new Christmas present, end quote. On November 21st, 21, a teacher at the Oxford High School observed Ethan Crumbly searching ammunition on his cell phone during class and reported the same to school officials. Jennifer Crumbly was contacted via voicemail by school personnel regarding that son's inappropriate internet search. School personnel indicate they followed that voicemail up with an email but received no response from either parent. Thereafter, Jennifer Crumbly exchanged text messages about the incident with her son on that day, stating, quote, LOL, I'm not mad at you. You have to learn not to get caught, unquote. On November 30th, 21, the morning of the shooting, the next day, Ethan Crumbly's teacher came upon a note on Ethan's desk, which alarmed her to the point that she took a picture of it on her cell phone. The note contained the following. A drawing of a semi-automatic handgun pointing at the words, quote, the thoughts won't stop, help me, end quote. In another section of the note was a drawing of a bullet with the following words above that bullet, quote, blood everywhere, end quote. Between the drawing of the gun and the bullet is a drawing of a person who appears to have been shot twice and bleeding. Below that figure is a drawing of a laughing emoji. Further down the drawing are the words, quote, my life is useless, end quote. And to the right of that are the words, quote, the world is dead, end quote. As a result, James and Jennifer Crumbly were immediately summoned to the school. A school counselor came to the classroom and removed the shooter and brought him to the office with his backpack. Counselor obtained the drawing, but the shooter had already altered it. The drawings of the gun and the bloody figure were scratched out along with the words, help me and my life is useless. The world is dead and blood everywhere. Those were all um, altered by him. 
As the meeting at the meeting, James and Jennifer Crumbly were shown the drawing and were advised that they were required to get the sh their son into counseling within 48 hours. Both James and Jennifer Crumbly failed to ask their son if he had his gun with him or where his gun was located and failed to inspect his backpack for the presence of the gun, which he had with him. James and Jennifer Crumbly resisted the idea of then leaving the school at that time, of, of their son leaving the school at that time. Instead, James and Jennifer Crumbly left the high school without their son. He was returned to the classroom. When the news of the active shooter at Oxford High School had been made public, Jennifer Crumbly texted to her son at 11.22, I'm sorry, at 1.22 p.m., quote, Ethan, don't do it, end quote. At 1.37 p.m., James Crumbly called 911, reporting that a gun was missing from his house and he believed his son may be the shooter. Further investigation revealed that the six-hour nine-millimeter handgun purchased by James Crumbly was stored unlocked in a drawer in James and Jennifer's bedroom. The gun recovered from the shooter at the school after the shooting was the same gun that was purchased by his father, James Crumbly, on November 26, 2021, in the presence of his son. Based upon the foregoing, the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office requested and received um, authorized, we charged four counts of involuntary manslaughter as to James Crumbly and four counts of involuntary manslaughter as to Jennifer Crumbly. Prosecutor Karen McDonald joined Guy Gordon hours after this very press conference while authorities were searching for James and Jennifer Crumbly. We're being told by their attorney that um, she knows where they are and they're in contact with her um, until until they actually turn themselves in or they're apprehended, then, you know, we, we just don't know. Okay. These drawings, these notes that you detailed in your news briefing are, are just shocking. Do we have a record of what the parents said when they were confronted with this evidence that the teacher took this note of a of, of what an apparent shooting and, and and blood and also this kind of cry for help from their son? I assume they were shown the picture. What did they say about it? The only information I have is what we've made public, which is that um, they agreed to uh, get him counseling within 48 hours, and um, I, I don't I don't believe they thought it was necessary to remove him from school, um, nor did they make anyone aware that there were any issues that would make them think he was there was something to be concerned about, and they oh. left the school, and he was allowed to go back to class. I hope I mean what as they a also dad. Knew, I'm sorry. What they also knew is that he had a weapon. They had purchased a weapon for him. Um, Mom had referred to it as his weapon. He had referred to it as his weapon. He had a set, um, e easy access to it at any time he wanted, and um, and they knew that, and they didn't disclose it to anyone, and they didn't even bother to look in his backpack, and they left the school. Tim Throne, who is the superintendent of schools, said last night on a video that he posted regarding this exchange between the parents and Ethan and the school that no discipline was warranted. Do you understand what he meant by that? Because it certainly seems to me that given everything you've detailed, he should have been sent home. Honestly, I'm just offended by the mention of discipline. This is, I, we're not talking about disciplining. 
We're talking about protecting the safety of the kids in that school. Yeah. Removal. You know, at some point, sure, you have to discipline kids, but your first priority has to be the well-being and safety of the entire student body. And, you know, I, I don't... I don't really care if he's disciplined. He should have been removed. You know, the parents knew he had a, a, a we had a gun available to him. You know, the, even more concerning and disturbing is that when there was news of an active shooter, dad didn't do what every one of us would as parents would, and did, which is immediately try to contact your kid or go to the school. He drove to his home and he checked to see if the weapon was still there. Finding that it wasn't there, he immediately called 911 and said, the, the, the gun's missing, and I'm afraid my kid's the shooter. So I just don't know how you can make an argument that he wasn't aware yeah. that that's a possibility. Well, something In doesn't addition, add up for me because there was a horrible interval there. There was a two-hour, maybe two-and-a-half-hour interval between this meeting with school authorities where they saw this disturbing note and his disturbing thoughts that you're telling me as a parent that he never thought to go back and check that drawer immediately? That's what doesn't add up to me. Do, do we, are, we, are we certain that he waited until he heard about the shooting before he did that? We only have, um, based on the evidence that, that we've reviewed at this point, that there's, we only know that he arrived there when he said that he did and called 911. Okay. And just shortly um, after the shooting occurred and it was public, there was a text message from mom to shooter saying, um, don't do it. Right. Let me ask you, getting back to the, the, the obligations on the part of the school administration here, um, I, I know that there are um, must-act uh, codes within the school that if you see child abuse, you must report it to authorities. Um, when they saw these disturbing notes, um, did they fail in their obligation, a legal obligation, to report it to the school resource officer or law enforcement? If there's really just no way to look at that um, that drawing, and also in combination with the the issue the day before, and not have some concern. And I think standard protocol for most schools, you know, the kid would be removed. And sometimes expelled. Right. So I, I don't look. I haven't reviewed an investigation um, of the actions of the school. It hasn't been presented to me, so okay. I can't really comment on it. But it's sure. I, I, it, it's. There's rage on the part of parents, and there should be. I'm angry. I, it could have been prevented so easily. He, we were fairly certain that he had. Um, that gun in his backpack while he was sitting there. Oakland County Sheriff deputies were on site and had the alleged shooter in custody within five minutes of receiving the first 911 call. Oakland County Sheriff Michael Bouchard credits frequent active shooter training and a department-wide rule that first person on scene run towards the gunfire instead of waiting for backup for the suspect's quick apprehension. He talked to Guy Gordon. What we do went like super well in terms of how our team responded. I'm proud of them. I know they save lives. Yeah. What we trained and worked with Oxford schools, they did an amazing job. It went extremely well. Then it went into lockdown. A lockdown, I know, saved lives based on spending a lot of time when I had the time um, to to walk slowly through the crime scene last night into the early hours this morning in terms of how those classrooms 
were um, barricaded and, and what they did to secure the building and keep those rooms locked down. <clears throat> I know that saved lives. So, but that only can mitigate damage and death. It can't prevent it. Only communication and those kinds of actions can prevent it. Moving forward, and let, understanding. Let me just say one other thing. Sure. Uh, because there's a lot of social media misinformation out there, and I've tried to hammer this as best I could. We investigated potential threats in the Oxford School District on November 11th. We had reports, again, from people that we looked into on November 15th. Completely unrelated situation, had nothing to do with the student or the situation. And in fact, it was determined by our investigators that the, the screenshots were taken in Georgia, had nothing right. to do with even our state. And that has been cross-populated into this event. And people were talking about, I kept my kids home because of earlier threats. Well, they may have kept them home, but that had no credibility and wasn't even in our state. We have no information from any parent that they kept their child home because of information about something this person said or did. Only yeah. two other instances that we we investigated and determined there was no threat. Um, those are some of the things that are getting cross-populated and now mixed into the thing. Well, we did call. Right. Well, some people did call, but it was about something else, a different person, a different incident, investigated and cleared. No one called about this person um, in this I, incident. Unfortunately, Mike, I've only got a minute left here, but yep. we've already got a state rep saying that he wants to arm teachers. Um, we've got Dana Nessel saying that we need to have a, a a child access prevention law to put more weight on parents to behave responsibly. Are those steps in the right direction? Well, you know, Guy, we've talked about this in the past. There's so many gun laws we have that... I believe we're not using across this country to hold people that carry and use guns illegally. And people are quick to always want another law. I mean, this kid broke law after law after law before he even got to the school to shoot people. So, you know, like, for example, we know that thousands of people fail background checks attempting to buy a gun under the NICS program, and they never right. get prosecuted every year. Let's start enforcing those laws. Let's start enforcing right. the felon firearm laws that generally don't get enforced anymore. The first cases of Omicron have been reported in the United States. Omicron, a COVID variant with over 40 mutations, has the medical community on high alert due to questions about the vaccine's effectiveness against those mutations. Beaumont Dr. Matthew Sims joined Kevin Dietz to tell us what he could. You know, we, we know enough about it to be concerned. Um, the biggest issue is that the spike protein of Omicron, which is you know the protein that interacts with human cells, it's the protein that the vaccine is targeted against, um, and that most of the neutralizing antibodies that we make to protect ourselves are targeted against, has 32 mutations in it. Um, that means you know that it's the shape of it essentially is going to be different than the shape of the spike protein in the wild type or alpha or delta. And so the concern is that that will change enough that the antibodies won't work as well. Um, and it's also concerning that it may spread faster. Um, that's what we don't know yet. 
So do we know how sick people are getting from this new variant? You know, the early reports that we heard said that most of the cases have been mild. Um, but, you know, I would say it's too early to tell. So when you say um, it's, uh, we're, there's concern about uh, how quickly it may spread, can you compare that to Delta? Because we talked a lot about uh, the difference from, say, COVID to Delta. Uh, how yeah. does this look compared so, to COVID and Delta? Yeah, so, you know, in the original wild type, you know, we had the original wild type, then we had Alpha, and Alpha spread about twice as fast as Delta. And then we had Delta, and Delta spread about twice as fast as Alpha. Um, so Delta took over everything. Now, in South Africa, in the area where this was found, the um, Omicron seems to have taken over from Delta to a large extent. Now, the question is, is that because it really goes so much faster, or is it because there wasn't that much circulating to begin with, so now a new thing was able to sort of take a foothold, or was it what we call a founder effect, where like, there's one or two cases that spread in a big group, and then because you're detecting all of that group, it looks like it's taking over. We don't know yet, but we are seeing it pop up here and there in other countries. The key, you know, in, in the U.S., where there's a ton of COVID around and it's all Delta, we don't know whether this will be able to outcompete. If it can't, then we're going to stay, you know, we'll end up mostly being Delta still. If it can, then we're going to see a shift to Omicron the way we saw Alpha change to Delta. What do you it's mean you can't take catch time both? To figure out. I'm can, sorry, can what was catch, that? Can, can you catch both Omicron and Delta? You know, in theory, so that's, that's, the, that's, that's a great question because, so if you've had Delta, we don't know if the antibodies you've made will protect you from Omicron. So that's the concern is that you might get be able to become reinfected. So when we look at getting vaccinated, we're definitely encouraging people to get vaccinated, get their boosters to fight Delta, which is still on the rise. We're waiting mm -hmm. to hear. We're waiting to hear basically how well or if these vaccines will work against Omicron. Correct. But. You know, again, we because just because Omicron is out there is not a reason to not get the current vaccines, right? Delta is the majority of what we're seeing in the United States. The thousands and thousands of cases we're getting every day are Delta. The antibodies that you make from the, the vaccine now will protect you against Delta. Um, and they may protect you against Omicron. We don't know. They may turn it into, you know, they may not stop it from the infection from happening, but might protect you from getting sick. The, the recommendation is get the vaccine, get the booster right now. If it turns out we need a new version of the vaccine for Omicron, like we need a new flu shot each year, they will make a new version. And then, then the, you, you know, we will recommend getting that. But until we know, the current vaccine is still recommended by everybody. And we should remind people that uh, the cases are up in Michigan. The hospitals are, mm -hmm. are pretty full right now from Delta, which, uh, which the current vaccinations and booster shots will help prevent hospitalizations. Absolutely. It will, it'll help prevent uh, infection, too, just not as well as it prevents hospitalization 
or death. The Supreme Court heard oral arguments this week over a Mississippi law that prohibits abortion after 15 weeks. The law, which went into effect in 2018, is seen as a threat to Roe v. Wade if upheld. Wayne State constitutional law professor Robert Sedler appeared on the Mitch Album show to break down the case. First place, I never try to predict what the Supreme Court will do. Nobody can. All they're doing is speculating. Uh, the court will let us know by June what it's doing. But uh, it is highly unlikely that the court would overrule Roe v. Wade. The court rarely overrules a case. It is only where the case has been undercut by subsequent decisions that the original case's holding is called into question. The court has consistently held that the Constitution prohibits the states from enacting laws that impose an undue burden on the abortion decision. So the question before the court in the Mississippi case properly is whether the Mississippi law imposes an undue burden on the abortion decision. Now, the lawyers for Mississippi and a lot of the amicus briefs have said, go back and just overrule Roe v. Wade so that there would be no right to an abortion under the Constitution. That simply is not the way that the court has worked. Now, there are some who believe that with Trump's appointments to the court and a 6-3 to three conservative majority, that the old rules never apply, that the justices would say, well, we now are in control. We think that Roe v. Wade decided 48 years ago was wrong, and we're just going to overrule it. I find it hard to picture the court doing that. This would be cataclysmic. Mm. It, would create, it would cause the court to lose credibility because the court would not be following doctrine and precedent or giving a principled basis for overruling right. it. So, so, so I let's, think that's highly unlikely. Let's, let's focus for a moment on the Mississippi law. This is uh, the law that bars abortion after 15 weeks. Um, what, are, what, are, what are the issues that make this Supreme Court worthy? And is there any, anything based on precedents, not just on mood or facial <laughs> expressions or any other things that, yes. that everybody's let's judging? Let's look at the law itself. Let's consider some possibilities. It does prohibit abortion after 15 weeks. That would involve a change in existing doctrine that prohibits an abortion only after viability. It's usually 25, 26 weeks or more where the fetus is capable of surviving outside the uterus. Now, the court could say, well, there are a lot, there's a lot of new, uh, new knowledge. Uh, women can get abortions uh, by medication. 95% of the abortions are performed before 15 weeks, so this law does not really impose an undue burden. Now, the court could say that, and that would be no departure from existing precedent. Or it could say, well, there's a provision in the law that allows abortion for severe fetal abnormality, but the law doesn't define that, and that's too vague, for a criminal law, so we hold that that term 
makes the law unconstitutional. They'll do it for Pod Sui this week. For full interviews or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.